If you brought your Bibles, you can open them to John chapter 15. We began last week a new, uh, new teaching entitled Flourish. Uh, Adele, as you were up here uh, uh, talking about uh, Jamaica and, and missions and Jamaica, and we were praying for Jamaica, I, I, I confess I had this ungodly thought that just kept running through my head, and that was, why aren't you bringing me any coffee? <laughs> Bring us some coffee, please. Oh yeah, oh no, it's, it's going to happen. That's going to happen, so... Anyway, uh, like I said, John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to spend the next, uh, I don't know, we have like seven or eight weeks in this teaching series, um, 17 verses in John 15, Jesus preparing kind of for his last days, it's, it's kind of the countdown of, of, thank you, I always need taller, is this one going to hold up, is it staying up, is it shrinking? Because the pastor's Bible is the extra heavy-duty kind, I guess. I don't know. Oh, it'll survive. We'll make it work. Um, in John chapter 15, it, it's kind of Jesus' last days. He's, he's been to the upper room. He's had the Last Supper. He's identified his betrayer. He, he's, he's telling the disciples about the advocate, the one who will come after him. He even says, you know, when this one comes, you're going to be able to do even greater things. Immediately after John 15, he talks about their, the disciples' relationship with the world. And he said, this, this relationship, you're, because you're my disciples, your relationship with the world is always going to be rocky. It's going to be difficult. And in fact, people are going to hate you. But I have called you to be my disciples. And he says, I want to give you a picture of what that looks like. I, I want to give you a picture of what it, what it really means to be my disciples. And he paints this beautiful portrait and we have a painting that that we're starting and and I know it it's 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 growing every week over the next seven or eight weeks you're going to see this thing really begin to flower you're going to see the fruit really begin to show up you're going to see it begin to flourish and that's the picture Jesus gives of his disciples of what it's like to be one of his disciples he says it's kind of like a vineyard and he paints this incredibly beautiful picture about a growing, flowering, fruitful vine, a fruitful garden. And last week we talked about this idea of the vine and he kind of identifies who's, who's who in this garden. And Jesus says, I am the true vine, right? He uses the, evokes the Old Testament name of God, and Israel used to think of themselves as the vine, but he says, no, 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 no. All of those things that have the promise of life and fruitfulness and flourishing, you can forget all that because I am the true vine, and here's good news. You, because you are my disciples, are the branches. But there's another character in this garden, he speaks of the gardener, the vine dresser. Take a look at uh, John chapter 15, the first couple of verses. Let's read them together again. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message 
I have given you. So we know who the vine is, and, and we know that, that we are the branches. But there's another character, the Father. Uh, it is the, the Father is the gardener. He is the vine dresser. And the vine dresser in verse 2 really has two purposes. The first purpose is to cut off every branch that doesn't produce fruit. And he has the, the second purpose, the second function of the gardener is to prune branches that are producing fruit so they could produce even more. So I want to talk about these two functions, a function of, of cutting off and a function of pruning, because these ideas are different. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this in uh, uh, the only way I know how. And that is to tell you that um, I, I live in this awesome little neighborhood, and we have one of these things, these devilish, hellish things called an HOA. Do y'all have these? So I am my HOA's worst nightmare. <laughs> because I own a chainsaw. Now, there, there are two functions of, of the gardener. One is to cut off or to cut away, and the other is to prune. So a, a pruning tool is something small like this, right? And, and some of you know about pruning. Well, I don't know anything about pruning. I don't know how to use these things. But this is something I can identify with. This is a cutaway tool. And, and in fact, uh, the, the guys in my neighborhood, uh, when they want a, a, a gas-powered blade, <laughs> they come to my garage. Because I, I, I just, I, I love it. Uh, for a little while, I had one of those pole saws. Do you know what those things are? So a blade on a pole. You can reach higher stuff up. I'm like, oh, I'm super excited. And then one of my neighbors showed up with, do you know they have chainsaw pole saws? Oh, man. I was like, this is amazing. It's a pole with a chainsaw on the end of it. And, and like, so I, I totally get this. And, and uh, if you've ever used a pole saw or a chainsaw, uh, or maybe it, maybe it's just me, but like you fire this puppy up and, and it just gets addictive, right? Because you know the branch you need to cut only takes about 10 seconds to cut. And that's just not, mm, you know, I still have more. And so I cut a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. If any of you in encountered the addictive qualities of the chainsaw or the pole saw, you know, you just kind of keep going and keep going and keep going. It's really a wonder I have any trees in my yard at all. Because um, I, I love the, there, there is something appealing about, about the cutaway process. I mean, if I could use this thing to cut my grass, I would. I mean, I would just like, I, I, just, I just love it. You know, the, the idea that once there was this tree here in this space, and now just moments later it's down, and now look at all this space. In Scripture, <laughs> the chainsaw job, the cutaway job, the cut-off job, belongs to God the Father. And most frequently in Scripture, it's not a tree or a bush that catches God's attention but the branch, remember last week we talked about Israel identified themselves as the vine, the grapevine. They were 
the chosen ones of God. And, and generally, when God is thinking about cutting off something, he's speaking about the branch of Israel, the vine of Israel. He's speaking about the religious establishment of that day. There's a great story of, uh, in Mark, in Mark chapter 11, Jesus is entering Jerusalem. It's a scene we refer to as the triumphal entry. He enters riding on a donkey, and the people line the streets with, uh, uh, with, with palm branches shouting, Hosanna, 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 save us, save us, save us. And if you look carefully at that story, as Jesus enters into the city, he goes immediately to the temple. And, and Mark gives this a, a really unique description because in Mark, Jesus enters the temple, and it says he takes a good look at everything. He just kind of takes it in. Now, <clears throat> he really must not have liked what he saw. Because in Mark, the story that immediately precedes that is Jesus goes in the temple, he takes a good look at everything that's there, and then he leaves. And on his way back to Jerusalem from Bethany the next day, what he saw must have still been burning on his mind, and he must have really not liked it, because this is the story it tells. Uh, go ahead and put that next passage up there. In Mark chapter 11, it says, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves, because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Now it's like, you know, I... Like, does Jesus hate Arbor Day? Like, what, what has this tree done? It's not the tree's fault. It's clearly too early in the season, right? Like, this, this passage doesn't make sense unless you think about Jesus' time at the temple. Because this tree that, that has the promise and, and potential of fruit is barren and empty. And immediately after cursing this tree, Jesus enters the temple again, and he does something really out of his character. When he gets there, it says he fashions cords together. He begins to overturn tables and drive out money changers. You see what Jesus saw in the temple that day, in his house, in his father's house, that was to be a house of prayer, was a market place. What he saw was a fig tree that had all the promise of goodness and hope and potential and yet was barren of any fruit. The next time the disciples see this tree, it is withered up at the root. It is only good now for the brush pile. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, it speaks more about Israel's feeling this, their sense of belongingness. Israel would, would say, we're safe because we're God, we're descendants of Abraham. We're the people of Israel. But look what it says. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we, we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the chainsaw of God's judgment is poised ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good, what's the word? Will be chopped down and thrown into 
the fire. You see, the religious establishment of the day believed they were safe because they were the chosen ones of God. But what is the true test of belonging to God? What is the true test of being connected to the vine? What is it? Fruitfulness. One of my great friends and ministers in ministry, he's, he's passed away now, regrettably. And, uh, but uh, at, at, uh, when I was in grad school, he would travel every week of the year and work with different churches. And, and I would love to say that he worked with the nice, healthy churches that were, that were growing and flowering and fruitful and flourishing. But generally, he got called to work with the churches that were really struggling and, and really in trouble. He worked with over 50 churches a year, like literally every week would fly out and spend time at a different church. Um, and uh, it, it was an incredible thing to kind of hear his story because what my friend discovered was that in most, if not all of these churches, what was needed wasn't this. What was needed wasn't some small little adjustment or, or pruning, but in most cases, what was needed was a large-scale cutting away. It earned him the very appropriate nickname of Chainsaw Charlie. Do you know the kind of church I'm talking about? Church is so bound in tradition that they've sacrificed their God-given mission. They lack any kind of fruit. Too often, the branches are dead and lifeless. It doesn't matter how much, uh, how, how much uh, miracle grow you put on them. For too many churches, for, for too many of our attitudes about church or about church life or about Christianity in North America, what is needed isn't some small pruning, but a large-scale cutting away. So one of the functions of the gardener, of the vine dresser, is <laughs> chainsaw Charlie. But the other function is pruning with the shears. And, and the, the pruning, uh, uh, unlike the dead branches, you, you cut away the dead parts, These the branches that have no life or no potential of life. But when you prune, and again, I'm not an expert at this, but when you prune, you are actually cutting healthy branches. You trim them back because they are not achieving their full potential. So sometimes uh, I, I hear this phrase uh, from, uh, from college students, or, or generally it comes around uh, uh, college-age students. Uh, the, the phrase is, you're going to laugh when I, when I say this, is, my parents cut me off. Have you ever heard this phrase? Hopefully this, this phrase has not been directed <laughs> uh, uh, specifically at you. Maybe you've said it. I don't, I don't know. But, it, but I imagine that, you know, a college student saying, my parents cut me off. What, what does that mean? What are they saying? Uh, that means uh, the, the bank account and the, uh, the rent and the free tuition, all of that kind of stuff. My, my, maybe all that's gone. My, my parents have cut me off. 
Uh, why would a parent cut off a college student? Yeah, because they, did, they didn't take care of themselves. Maybe uh, 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 their, their first semester uh, re report card or when those grades came in, it wasn't quite to the potential or the expectation. Christian, I know you're going to college next year, so just warning, don't get ready. My parents cut me off. That could be your future if you, uh, uh, if you don't pay attention. Um, no, they, they, you get cut off by your parents because you just don't reach the kind of potential not only do they expect, but they, you know, they, they see in you. Uh, and, and, you know, the reality of the situation, even, even as we apply the garden metaphor, like, you really, you know, if a college student says, you know, my parents cut me off, the reality is you cut yourself off, right? By not producing the kind of life, the kind of grades your parents know are possible. And that's really, if you get to the root of it, the core of it, that's really the gardener's purpose, the gardener's purpose, the vine dresser's purpose, is to cut away dead branches and prune healthy ones to produce more. To produce more fruit. That's what, it, that's what it even says. It says, so they will. This cutting away, this pruning process happens so they will produce even more fruit. And that's your purpose, too. You are here, the, the reason God planted you in, in this church, the reason God planted you in this community is to produce fruit. In the New Testament, the language it uses is a harvest of righteousness. We are here as a church to produce fruit for the kingdom of God, to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to, to make disciples, to see men and women give their life to Jesus Christ. And I want to take some of the pressure off too because I, the expectation for you to produce, for your faith to produce, to, to show that you're really connected to that true vine isn't an expectation for you to produce something you're not, but this is producing exactly who you are. Do you, do you believe that? Do you see that? You are planted in this place to produce. In you already is all the potential to produce good fruit, to produce lasting fruit for God's kingdom. Galatian call, Galatians calls these fruits the fruits of the Spirit. You know them, right? You sang the song when you were a kid. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you believe that that potential to produce good fruit exists in you? Because I think that's part of the potential, that's part of what God's word does. His teaching, Jesus' teaching, unlocks what you already have. And now you're probably sitting there like the disciples were sitting when Jesus told them this same thing. You know, they weren't much different from you and I. They, they probably questioned their potential too. Like, what can I contribute to God's kingdom? What, what kind of what can my faith contribute to, 
to the ideas and beliefs and the culture of, of Franklin, Tennessee. What, what, what do I have to offer? But Jesus knew the truth about them. And he knows the truth about you. That you are full of potential. And to make things even more interesting, if you look in John chapter 15, verse 3, go ahead to that next one. He says, you've already been this. His disciples out there said, oh, I don't know what potential I've got. I don't, I don't know what's possible. And Jesus says, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Already. Like this, this thing has already happened to you. You've, you've already been cut. There are parts of you that have already been, been cut away. And how? How have you been pruned and purified? How has God been shaping you and forming you? How is, how is he drawing out your potential? By the message I have given you. Hmm. What do you think he's talking about? Um, I, I played golf this past weekend uh, with one of our shepherds, and uh, I, I always let him win. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Um, I stunk it up, man. I just didn't play good. And not that I'm good anyway, but I played worse than I normally play. And uh, it's, it's tough because I've been practicing, and I've been going to the range, and I've been taking lessons. And, uh, and so I'm actually like, uh, I'm not just like casually playing. I don't care if I don't play good, but I'm like, trying you know I'm, I'm i'm actually trying so it was frustrating to not play well and i had a lesson again uh, yesterday and so i went and i just told my i told my coach at, at, at the lesson i said man i just i just wasn't on it just something just wasn't right i just i just didn't i just didn't play well and he said okay well let me just watch you take a couple swings and and i think literally i think i took three swings and he goes okay I know exactly what you're doing. And first off, it, it just blew my mind. Like this guy's wisdom about golf and the swing and how all this stuff works. Like, like it, it wasn't like he had to sit down and spend some real critical time with me. Like in three swings, he knew exactly, he was able to pinpoint exactly what was wrong with my swing and then set me up in this, he was like, okay, here's how I want you to stand, and you need to just hold it just like that. And, and in moments, I mean, it was like almost lightning fast. He just set me up exactly where I needed to be, and, and all, I mean, I want to say instantaneously, I started to swing much better. And it was, it was humbling to be in, in that kind of presence. You know what I'm saying? Like, Something I couldn't fix on my own. I, can't, I couldn't identify it myself, but, but with, with almost no effort. He has such a knowledge of golf and the swing and how things work. Like he, he immediately was able to correct me and get me on the right path. And then even more humbling was the thing he showed me. He'd shown me that before. I'd just forgotten and I think that's the message that Jesus is talking about. I think that's how God's word 
work. Scripture says about itself that it's living and active. It's, it's able to separate bone from marrow. Maybe you've had that experience of, of just something's just not quite right in your life. Maybe it's a relationship with your spouse or with your kids. Something's just, just not quite right with your faith. And you're swinging with all your might and you're trying to correct it, but, but you just can't get it. It just doesn't feel right. Just something's, something's not right. And maybe it's the advice of a friend or, or a, a Bible study. Maybe it's just your verse of the day that shows up during your morning study time. But all of a sudden, you come in the presence of God's word. Have you ever had this experience? And all of a sudden, God speaking through his word, the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks right to where you're at. Speaks right to what you're struggling with. Have you had this experience? Like all of a sudden, without even fully knowing, or there's no way, like how could God's word know exactly what I'm dealing with? But it clearly knows from this incredible knowledge base exactly what's wrong, exactly what you're struggling with, exactly what you're facing, and then can put you in a position to fix it. Have you ever been humbled by God's word like that? And then, then, that, then the, the worst part is you're like, oh, I knew this, but I had forgotten. I think that's the way the message prunes us and shapes us. But we've got to give it permission to, how much time are you spending in God's word? And, and are you reading it and studying it? Or, you, or are you really allowing it to shape and prune you? You see, there's a difference. Um, overwhelmingly, North American Christians are, are, are obsessed with Bible study. Like, like our knowledge about the Bible exceeds any, at any point in history. We know more Scripture. We see more Scripture. We, we see it in front of us more frequently. The issue is we haven't allowed it to let it uh, to let it do its work on us, right? I can sit and have my little coffee and have my little quiet time and I can read and I can feel good and I can feel encouraged, but are we really allowing God's scripture to, to penetrate deep inside of us to change us? Man, I think about the fruits of the spirit that I was talking about just a minute ago of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Man, I confess to you right now, like I, I know that I can quote it to you left and right. But when have I let that challenge of gentleness really set on me? And I, I confess to you this week, man, I, I haven't been gentle with anybody. I haven't been gentle with my spouse, with my wife. I haven't been gentle with my kids. I knew it. I knew the words. I could quote it to you. Are we really allowing God's word to prune us? Too many North American Christians claim Christ, know his teaching, but never allow his words, his message 
to truly shape, penetrate, and prune them. But if we could, pruning is always about potential. God sees potential in each and every one of us. In just a few minutes, we're going to enter into a time of uh, communion, and we have stations set up around the room. And we're going to invite you to come to these tables. Maybe it's been a long, long time since you allowed any pruning to happen in your life, in your heart, in your attitude. Maybe you need to repent of that, confess some of those things. But we'll celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ together around a meal. And, and we want that time. We think it's important. But before we get there, I want to I share one more story with you about gardens and growth and planting. It's all through the New Testament. It's all through the teachings of Jesus. It comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden. And came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always, what's the word? Finally, he said to the gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. It's time for Chainsaw Charlie. It's just taking up space. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. I love this story. Who's advocating in this story for the fig tree? Do you remember? It's not the owner of the garden. The owner is ready to cut the fig tree down. Who's advocating for the life of the fig tree, for its future? The gardener. The gardener says, leave it one more year. And I'll, I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. He says, give it just one more chance. I love the story partly because it's so open-ended. Uh, Jesus ends the story right there. <laughs> what happens to the fig tree? We don't know. And he doesn't tell us. I think he leaves it open for us to decide. I think he's telling us, you know, it's, it's not too late. It's not too late for our families, for our church. It's not too late for your faith, your relationship with Jesus Christ to produce even more fruit. Man, I see God's vineyard. I see his vine flourishing and flowering and fruitful in India. I see his vine flourishing and flowering and, and being fruitful in, in China. Some of the underground stories that are happening in China is, are pretty amazing. I see it happening in in. South America, in, in Jamaica. What about Franklin, Tennessee? What about Brentwood? 
What about Nashville? Jesus says in the same passage in John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, When you produce much fruit, you are my... What are those two words? When you produce fruit... So I want to ask a heavy question, and, and I don't want to lay it on you as some sort of kind of like biblical guilt trip, because I don't think that's what this is about. But I want to ask a heavy question, and the question is, where's the fruit? When you look at your life of faith, like what, what have you got to show for? We all have entered into this, the waters of baptism. We've proclaimed Jesus Christ, Lord of our life. What do we have to show for it? Where's the fruit of our faith? How is it being expressed and shared and shown? Is all we have to show for, for our connection to the vine a really good attendance record on Sunday morning? Are you compelled to produce good, more fruit? Maybe you're sitting here thinking, man, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. I've been a Christian for 80 years. I don't know. <laughs> thinking, man, phew. I don't have a whole lot to show for this. If that's you, man, I, I don't, I don't want to beat you up about what's, what has or hasn't happened in the past. But I want to tell you, it's not too late. There, there is still time. This is your chance. I feel like it's our chance as a church. Right? We could kind of keep going on, just kind of keep doing what we're doing. Or we could really grasp on to the true vine and have a target of fruitfulness, of flourishing. This morning, I invite you, um, <laughs> as we enter the table, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you'll need <laughs> as you go to the table this morning, the table of communion. Uh, maybe you need a pole saw or a chainsaw. Maybe there's some stuff that you've been holding on to that, uh, frankly, it, just, it doesn't need pruning. It just flat out needs to be cut away. Attitudes that need to be cut away so that you may achieve the full potential that God sees in you. There's still time. This is your chance. Right now, even today, this is what is, what is amazing about Christianity and our faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been or what direction you've gone. Right now, you have the opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ and he will meet you right in this very moment. Do you believe that? Won't you give your life to Jesus Christ today? Allow his word, the message of his life to do its work on you so that you may bear fruit, so that your life, your faith will flourish. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for this church and for the work that you keep doing on us. And, and God, it's frankly, it's just uncomfortable uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the thought of the acts of judgment and, and the expectation of, of producing fruit, fruit, God, it's, it's 
it, it's, it's uncomfortable, but Father God, it's, it's exactly what you placed us here for. It's exactly what you believe is possible in us and through us. And so, Father God, let us trust you more than our own fears. Let us trust you more than our own inhibitions. Let us, let us not settle for just this kind of barren vine, but Father God, let us produce for you, not because we think we're great or we're special, but because we're tied to you and you are the source of all life and hope and forgiveness and mercy and grace. And Father God, we know if we are connected to you, if we are intimately tied to you, if we allow your word and your message and your life and your teachings to do its work on us, we will be shaped into the kind of people that produce fruit. We, we won't even be able to stop it or hold it back. We will flourish. So, Father God, I, I pray as we enter into this time of communion this morning, as we approach your table, God, let your work do let your word do its work on us. Father God, what are some of the attitudes? What are the, some of the things that we've been clinging to, holding on to, that frankly need to be pruned back or cut away? Father God, let us not just read your word and study it because we like it or seek it out just for encouragement, but, but allow it to actually have an impact on our life, on who we are. Uh, somehow allow us to be changed and transformed by it. And Father God, we know right now that you, you sit waiting, not, um, <laughs> not anxious to cut any of us off but to see us achieve our full potential. Father, as Adele was talking, this mission is much bigger than us, much bigger than this place, much bigger even than our time here together. You've got a worldwide vision, mission in mind. And Father God, the way we can participate in that is to be fruitful, to share our faith with our friends and neighbors, even, even our own kids, Father God. How are, how are we producing a harvest of righteousness in our, in our children's hearts, in our spouse's hearts? Father God, we love you. God, I pray that this morning we would receive this message of pruning and cutting away in, in the best light possible so that we might produce good fruit. We love you, Father, and in your Son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to share in a time of communion together.